All right. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it is so good to have you here, every single one of you. Uh, by the way, you do know that Easter was last week, right? It's great to have a full house here today. Good hello to those of you upstairs. You know, there they are up there in the cheap seats. Uh, so good to have all of you here. Uh, it is always a great time to be here. I was thinking about that. We were talking beforehand uh, backstage with the band, and I said, you know, last week we had this cool little call and response cheer thing that we did. And uh, I say, he is risen. You say, he is risen indeed. But you're like, well, it's not Easter anymore. Well, for a follower of Jesus Christ, every day is Easter, right? So maybe we could change it a little bit. And on this Sunday after Easter, I say, he's still risen. And you respond, he's still risen indeed. So let's try it. He's still risen. He's still risen. He's still risen. Awesome. I like that. It didn't feel very Lutheran, but we still did it. So it was, it was still fun. Uh, this is it's a blast. I love, uh, I look forward to the weekend. I know that may sound uh, odd to some of you because you're like, well, you're, you're our pastor, John. That's kind of what you're supposed to do is look forward to the weekend. Well, I really do look forward to the weekend. It is a blast. And speaking of blast, we had a little party here uh, last week called Easter, and I actually take that back. It was anything but uh, little. Praise God uh, with our Holy Week services and all the way through Easter, over 1,500 people experienced the gospel here at Hope Des Moines. So praise God for that. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, so good, and, uh, and we praise God for that. And the reason that I mention that is nothing to do with, with numbers. It's never been about numbers. It's about changed lives. And, and, and it's the number of people that we can reach. We want more and more people to hear the good news of the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And that love is the same that it was uh, last week, is the same it is today for every single one of you. It's never been about, oh, how many people are here or whatever. It's all about growing deeper and, and wider and sharing God's love with as many people as we can. It's been about lives being changed. And one of my favorite things about Easter is I love the actual event of Easter, but I also love the week following and a lot of uh, emails and cards and, and notes and text messages and phone calls and all those. So if I haven't gotten back to you, I'm sorry, I'm getting to it, but I wanted to share a few fun uh, letters with you uh, today uh, just in follow-up so that you can see it's not a show it's not a one-time-a-year thing, and it's like, oh, great, we did this big event called Easter, and everybody shows up, and then nobody comes. Well, clearly you came back, so thanks for being here. Uh, and uh, here's the thing. What I love about these notes is that they're real, and they're raw, uh, and they're honest. So I just wanted to read a couple uh, for you today. I, I won't mention any names, but uh, one person wrote, this is a deep, heartfelt note, man, I forgot how much I love mini cinnamon rolls. That was one of the ones that I got. Um, <clears throat> That was a fun one. Uh, in, in all seriousness, uh, one lady wrote this. Her words, not mine. I've never been a real churchy person, but this weekend, meaning Easter, I realized I need to let go of my past bitterness against the church and start new with following Jesus. Okay? So that's, that's stuff's happening, right? God things. Yeah, you can clap anytime you want, okay? Okay. Um, Here's a fun one. Another man wrote this. By the way, if you weren't here, we, we actually gave everybody name tags on Easter. We kind of went old school Lutheran. Everybody had a name tag. Uh, not just so we could have name tags, but so that you could be called by name. When people came up for communion, our servers called them by name as Jesus calls us by name and, and knows us. And so uh, a young man uh, wrote this. He said, when I came up for communion, I see the, the history is he grew up in the church. He'd taken communion hundreds of times. When I came up for communion and the server called me by name, I didn't expect it to be so powerful. It's like God was reminding me just how loved I am. 
you can hear the same thing over and over and over again, and you can, you can do this whole church thing, and you can just go through the motions, right? But this gentleman came up, and he received it in a brand new way that God's love was for him. And here's the thing. As, as followers of Jesus, we never stop needing need to hear the good news. We never stop needing to hear the good news over and over and over again proclaimed over our lives that we are loved by God. And I think it's why that last story hit me the most. There's countless of other notes that I'm still wading through of, of God at work, but it's that last one that hit me the most because I, I read that and I, something inside of me went, yes, <laughs> that's why we do what we do. That's why we get up super early and make breakfast and gather here together. That's why you got out of bed this morning. It's not because you're coming for a show or a church service or an event. God is literally changing people's lives. And if people leave here, the sermon may be mediocre. The music may be mediocre. The donut holes, eh, they're donut holes, right? But it's the reason that you come, the reason why we do matters is because Jesus is changing lives. Amen? And if people leave here every single time they come, knowing the love of Jesus Christ, that's why we do what we do. We can talk about fancy sermons and great music and great kids' activities and things on Easter all day long, but I believe that a church after Jesus' heart is known for one thing more than anything else. I mean, if you were walking down the street and somebody came up to you and you said, oh, yeah, I go to Hope Des Moines. If they hear Hope Des Moines, what's the first thing out of their mouth? I think our deepest desire as a church would be, oh, they're the church that really loves people well. They're the church that really loves people, and they genuinely, not, not fake, not pretend, not churchy, like real, genuine love. And let me just say something, that's deep. That's what it means to go deep. We always talk about going deep and wide, right? And a lot of you think, well, I, my Bible study's not deep enough, and that wasn't deep enough, and my small group's not deep, or whatever. You know what's really deep? is loving somebody well. That's what it means to, that's Christian maturity. If you want to go deep, it's not about whether you know your Greek or your Hebrew and you've read the whole Bible and you can exegete a whole passage or you're a a pastor or a worship leader or on a church staff or how many Bible studies or small groups you've led. Going deep is being a church that authentically and genuinely loves people. And then when they start peeling peeling back the layers a little bit, they'll find, oh, I know why. Because they have this God that is just radically Love them. And they are so overwhelmed as a church with his love that they can't help but love each other well in the city around them. That's why we exist as a church. Amen? Just to clarify, that's why we are the way we are. And of course, this isn't my idea. It's not just some idea or opinion. Jesus made it pretty clear when he was asked. Back in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, Jesus is approached by a bunch of Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And you have to understand that in the Old Testament, there was a whole bunch of laws whole bunch of laws about everything you can imagine, right? How to wash your hands, what kind of meat you can have, how to cook your meat, how to prepare your food, how to cleanse yourself, all these things. And so they came up and they were trying to trap Jesus and they said, okay, Jesus, which one's the most important? Because they're kind of setting him up to contradict him. So if he says this one, then not this one. So Jesus boil it all down. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this, and you must, you can follow along with me if you want, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he says, the second one is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't have one without the other. They go together. I call it Jesus's peanut butter and jelly command. They just go together, right? But notice which one is first, right? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be in a, in a vertical relationship with him. And that's going to impact all of your horizontal relationships as well. You can't love other people well unless you are overflowing with the love that God has first poured into you. You've got to stay connected to the source. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. But, you know, we're in church, and we're all friends here, and you can be honest because you wouldn't lie in church, right? Just a show of hands, uh, how many of you are just nailing that whole loving God with all of your heart and soul thing this week? Anybody just perfecting that? Okay, couple, good. I would love to meet you uh, and talk to you afterwards. That'd be, that'd be, uh, anybody just nailing that? Anybody upstairs just, just rocking that whole thing? How about uh, just another show of hands? How many of you have absolutely just perfected this loving your neighbor thing and you just loved all the people around you, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, that annoying person on Facebook? Anybody just nailing that? Anybody rocking that? No, that's kind of that's what I thought, right? We've got some work to do. We're not all there yet. It would also be great on the flip side I would love to be able to go around the room today and talk to each one of you and have you tell me, oh man, I, I feel so loved. <laughs> I, I feel so valued. <laughs> I, feel, I feel understood. I feel like people understand uh, where I'm at. <laughs> be nice that we could say that we all feel known and loved and accepted perfectly, that we're satisfied <laughs> in that department. But I think if we're honest, that's not the case. Why is that? Because love is messy, isn't it? And love is hard. And if you think that I just stand up here sometimes in sermons and give like hypothetical examples, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to those of you that I pray with and talk with and meet with and cry with about your marriages, about your parenting, even your parenting of your grown children and the heartache that that can cause, blended families, step families, how to work together with your spouse, how to love your coworkers well, how to love your extended family well. Love is messy. Love is hard. And as broken, <laughs> broken, imperfect people, we often have a hard time loving the people that we're closest to well. Sometimes we, the people that are closest to us get treated the worst. And nobody knows that better than a young gal named Christine McPherson. Christine is, uh, or Lady Bird, as she's called, is the main character in the film that we're going to be looking at today, which is by that same theme, Lady Bird. So we are kicking off a brand new sermon series uh, today as we kind of put Easter in the rearview mirror and look forward to where we're going. We're starting a new series today called Faith on Film, and we're going to be looking at some uh, movies that we've actually that actually come come out just in the last year or so. Uh, and so today we're talking about Lady Bird. Next week is Wonder Woman. So ladies, you can wear your super capes uh, next year. Uh, next Next week uh, for that, the week after uh, La La Land, so we'll be offering uh, dance lessons after each service uh, with that one. Uh, Lion is a great movie uh, later on in April, and then we'll end on Confirmation Weekend in May with The Greatest Showman, which is a really, really awesome film. And every single one of these, I mean, it was hard to pick, right? Uh, so we're sitting around as pastors debating which movies we should preach on. It's a pretty good pretty fun thing to do, but every single one of these movies speaks to us in the way that stories do. And you think about the way that Jesus taught, how did Jesus teach? Through parables. And parables are stories, right? It's been said that story is the language of the heart and that cinema has a way of packaging truth in a way that can kind of slip past our defenses. Anybody ever gone to a movie and you just sit there afterwards and you just like bawled your eyes out and you're like, what just happened to me, right? It's like I went to a church service, you want to know why? Because when you get engrossed in something like that, it can be, 
it can become an act of worship. If your heart's engaged, right? Worship is just whatever you give your heart to, right? And so these movies have a way of speaking to us about that. And so uh, I would really encourage you, this series, uh, every series, but this series more than any, there's actually these cards that can tell you which movie's on what date. You're probably sitting on them or on the the chair next to you. Uh, They should be there. If you didn't get them upstairs, ushers can get you those. But I would really encourage you to think about a friend who maybe is like, yeah, church isn't really my thing. Jesus isn't really my thing. Well, actually, come and uh, watch a movie at church. We're going to watch some clips from that today, but maybe if there's one of those films that would speak to one of your friends that's not a churchy person, this would be a great series to invite them to. Now, all that to say, here's my disclaimer. By no means is our choice in movies or every scene in that movie a reflection of the teaching statement, values, mission, values, and belief of Lutheran Church of Hope. Therefore, I am not encouraging you to go home and watch Lady Bird as a family film tonight. You will be disappointed uh, in that department. Not every single one of these movies we fully endorse and the snack bar closes in 10 minutes. So that's my disclaimer uh, about that. So it doesn't mean, though, that there is not truth. It does not mean that every scene we can just throw out, there is truth. And so tonight we start with, today we start with a look at the power and the messiness of love. And so in this opening scene you're going to see from Lady Bird, it's actually the opening scene to the whole movie, Christine, who's named herself Lady Bird, and her mom are coming back from a 21-hour trip on a college visit. And for those of you that have Uh, will have teenagers someday, uh, have teenagers right now, or have had teenagers, you will resonate with this scene and the messiness of raising a young adult. Let's take a look. (laughs) Just another day in the wonderful world of parenting. Those of you that have young children right now, you're like, please, God, no, let it never come to that. Those of you with teenagers right now are like, that happened on the way here. That, that, That happened on the way to church. That, that's... That's what happens. Uh, the truth remains no matter, wow, no matter what happens, and that's like the, the rated G part of the film, by the way. So it gets worse from there w- with Christine. But the truth remains, love is messy, isn't it? And love is hard, and our baggage and our wounds, even as adults, can impact our kids. And I don't know if you noticed that behind the bickering and the yelling, there is a young woman who just wants to be understood. And a, and a mom that is projecting her emotional baggage onto her daughter, unfortunately, is a daughter that just wants to be understood. Behind every argument you've ever had with your spouse, behind every argument you've ever had with your kids or a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, is the longing to be loved. Is the longing to be loved. Not just with the people sitting next to you today or the people around you, but there is a city full of ladybirds out there. There is a city full of Christines that are longing to be loved, and they're going everywhere looking for. And that's why I say what we do, especially last week on Easter, 1,500 people get to hear the gospel. The reason we do what we do is because people are looking everywhere for it, and we know there's only one place they're ever going to get filled up and be fully satisfied is to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And until then, we will be desperate for it, and we will be empty And so if we're called to be a church, if God's desire for us as a church and as individuals is to be known for our love, right, then growing in our ability to love well is worth revisiting again and again and again. The problem is we live in a world where this word love, it's used for a lot of different things, and so it can be kind of confusing. Like, what does it really mean to love well? And I'm not just talking about romantic love, I'm just talking about true godly love. What does it look like to love people well? We use the word love for a lot of different things. So I know this may be kind of 
crazy, but again, we're all friends here. So just a few of you, just yell out, what are some things that you love? Fill in that blank. I love blank. Just what is that? Just yell them out. I love mac and cheese. Good. What else? Chicken. What else? Basketball. Music. Our dog, right? Okay, so get this. We say, I love mac and cheese. I love my dog. I love my spouse. And I love Jesus. Okay? That's a little confusing. What does it mean to love? We use that word interchangeably, and we use it for a lot of different things. There's a lot of different opinions about what love is. And often we forget that when we turn to the Bible, when we turn to God, that it's not like God just has another opinion or has some teachings about love. The scripture that Chris read for us this morning said, no, actually, God is love. He didn't invent love. He didn't, he didn't just talk about love as one more opinion that you could read about in a book or a popular opinion of the day. If you want to know how to love, we got to go back to the source because God himself is love. It would be important to see what God has to say. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 1 John chapter 4. It's going to be in the way back of your Bible, almost one of the last pages of your Bible. It's not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. There's three Johns before Jude and Revelation at the end of your Bible. So 1 John chapter 4. So if we want to know how to grow in love, verse 17 says this. This is how love is made complete among us. And another word for complete there in the Greek is, is maturity, is to move on to maturity. In other words, this is what people who love the best do. Okay, this is what they do. You ready for it? We live like Jesus here in this world. How do you learn to love well? By trying harder or by reading the latest book or being nicer or making a New Year's resolution? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love better. I'm going to be a nicer person. No, actually, you reorient your life around Jesus. I'm going to watch the person of Jesus, not just what he said in the Gospels, but how he lived. And love is spoken a lot of in Scripture, and there's hundreds of different characteristics of what love is. But what I want to do for a short time here this morning is I want to look at love through the lens of this film, Lady Bird, but also through the lens of the example of Jesus. And I want to highlight three characteristics of love, three ways of looking at love that I think this film teaches us, as well as as we look at Jesus' life, three different ways that Jesus loved that we often overlook. All right, you ready? Okay, seven of you are ready. All right, you ready? All right, upstairs, you ready? All right, number one, if you're keeping score at home, real love is about delight, not duty. Everybody say delight. Real love is about delight, not duty. Now, it's not to say that love is always easy or fun or comfortable, but when it comes to the motivation to love, it doesn't take long to realize where your heart's at. So back to the movie, Lady Bird has a very difficult relationship with her mother. That's just the tip of the iceberg, what you saw, but it continues. And this is just one more of those scenes where her mother's projecting her stress and her, her anxiety on her daughter. And it's gotten even worse now because Lady Bird's dad has lost his job. And so watch what happens. And she comes home late one night from a party and her mom just chooses to rip into her. And watch what happens when you operate as a parent from a place of duty and obligation rather than delight. Let's take a look. Mom, I can't be perfect. Mom, I, I'm just, ne I'm never going to be enough. Chances are there's some people in this room today that you've felt that exact same thing. Maybe not from your parents, maybe, but from other people in your life. I, I just can't be perfect. There's not a lot of delight going on. <laughs> she doesn't feel a lot of delight coming from her, her mom. It's, you can sense the duty and the obligation. 
Christine, can't you tell that we're working so hard? Don't you see all the, way, all the things that we've done for you, all the ways that we're providing for you? It's so hard to be your parents. If you could just be good enough, then this wouldn't be happening. That is a textbook example, by the way, of what happens when parents, when adults that don't have emotional boundaries end up taking their baggage out on their innocent children. We got to be so careful, even as adults, that we're constantly growing and maturing in love and in maturity in Christ so we don't unintentionally project what's going on inside here onto other people. And we do that all the time. And sometimes the people that we love the most get the brunt of it, don't they? Because they're closest to us. That's why this relationship has got to be intact if we're going to do these types of relationships well. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. There is a place for discipline when it comes to parenting and love, but how quickly it can turn to shame. And how many of us have shamed our children and other people around us unknowingly, and it just pushes Christine farther away. And why is that? Because love with an agenda is not love. Love with an agenda is not love. Love offered in a sense of duty isn't really love. Think about it like this, maybe in a, in a different way, maybe in a, in a, in a light-hearted way. Imagine that some night uh, I come home uh, to my wife, Tiffany, of nine years, and I just really want to kind of woo her and, and bless her and, uh, and romance her. And so I come home, and I've just got this giant bouquet of roses, and I come walking it. Well, I'll back that up. It's my wife. A giant Starbucks. And I come in. That, Men, know your lady, okay? Know your ladies, okay? So I just got this giant Starbucks. Imagine I come walking in, and I kind of sashay in, and I'm like, hey, honey. And like, all of a sudden, I'm Elvis or something. Hey, baby. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. When I get romantic, I turn into Elvis. And I'm like, hey, baby. And I kind of sashay in. I've got it behind my back and say, honey, look at, I've got you a giant, a giant, you know, mint mocha from Starbucks or whatever, you know. And, and she says, oh, because this is how she always responds. Oh, honey, you're so romantic. And she says, oh, you shouldn't have, right? Because that's how, ladies, you respond every time. Oh, you shouldn't have. Now, imagine if I responded to that. Uh, well, actually, I should have. Um, I kind of felt obligated to do it. It was actually on my husband duties for the week, checklist item number 4.2, uh, get wife, Starbucks, smile, act romantic. And then I can check that one off the list. And I feel better about myself as a husband for having completed that task in loving you. Now back to my life. No, right? That's not what she wants. Like, she wants me to do it out of the genuine desire and delight not duty, but delight in that I love her and it brings me great joy to serve her. It, it's the most natural thing in the world for me to do. Not look how much I've done for you, honey. Not Christine's mom in the clip saying, oh, daughter, look how much we've done for you. That's not love. Anything out of, done out of duty just doesn't feel right. So compare and contrast that example with the way that God, our Father, speaks about being a parent to us. Look at this passage up on the screen from Ephesians chapter 1. I love this passage. Let's read it together. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. <laughs> I love that. This is what he wanted to do. God does not love us with some moral obligation to do so. I don't know what picture you have of God, but different than Ladybird's mom, 
God doesn't wake up in the morning and go, well, I'm God and God is love, and you know, you know, for God to love the world, so I should probably live into that. So God loves all people, so I'll put up with you all today. It brings God delight to love us. He's rejoicing over you today. He's proud of you. This is what he wanted to do. So what if instead of responding to Tiffany with, well, yeah, I should have, it was on my checklist, what if I responded to Tiffany and said, oh, honey, you know what? I've been thinking about you all day. And I was so excited to bring you this Starbucks because it brings me great joy to serve you and to delight in you. I've been, I've been waiting for this all day because I love loving you. I love serving you. That's the heart. That's the heart that we're after. And if you think about it, that same principle could be applied to us as followers of Jesus, to us as members of a church. Can you imagine if you would have walked in here this morning, and I'm standing in the back, and I'm greeting some of you, and you walk in, and I say, hey, it's so good to see you here. We're so glad that you came to worship this week. We're so glad. My name is Pastor John. I'm so glad you're here. And what if your response was, yeah, you know, we just really felt obligated to come today. You know, we, we've missed a couple weeks, and, we, you know, we're Christians, and so we just felt like we should meet our worship quota for the month. And, you know, I, I you know, talked to Jen back there, and so I'm probably going to be an usher because that's, I guess, if you've been a part of a church longer than six months, then you have to be an usher, have to be an usher, and so I should do this and I should do that. Stop shooting on yourself, Okay. You're not going to remember anything else I said today except that, right? (laughs) You're never, never going to forget, you know, you're never going to believe what my pastor said today, right? But we do that. We shame ourselves and we duty ourselves into the Christian life. The same thing is true about serving or giving financially. One of the, the verses that we love to talk about during money time, but it applies to all types of serving, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is how you don't should on yourself. Okay, ready? You must decide in your heart, let's read it together, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Again, it blows my mind during giving, giving campaigns here at the church as we've added on and grown as a church how much joy there is in the room when you give, how much joy there is in the room when we ask you to serve. The past week, from Monday, Thursday to Easter, it took 212 volunteers to do our services here. And when we asked you to do that, this is why we love you as a church. Hey, we need 42 communion servers uh, for Easter. Could you help out? Absolutely, I would love to. And the response is, hey, could you help do the flowers in the parking lot? Or could you help serve communion? Could you help make the coffee? Could you come early and help with this and set out the flowers or whatever it is? And over and over again, your response is to church is, sure, I would be delighted to. I would love to do that. And that's why we love you as a church, because you've moved from duty to delight. So that's the first piece, is that real love delights. But secondly, not only does real love delight, real love pays attention. Everybody say attention. Everybody say attention. I just want to make sure I have your attention, right? Now, you might think this is an odd way to describe love, but hang on. So back to the movie, Christine is kind of a recluse. She gets in trouble all the time. She's kind of forced by her parents to go to this Catholic school. And so the leaders of the school are priests and nuns, and you know that most nuns uh, don't get married. And so Christine and some of her friends do this practical joke, and she gets sent to the principal's office. They do this joke. It's kind of funny that these nuns, who they assume aren't married, are always talking about how they're married to Jesus. And so her and some of her friends make a just married sign and put bottles and cans and streamers on the back of the nun's car that say, married to Jesus. 
This will get you sent to the principal's office, to the administration. And so Lady Bird is there, and watch the difference of how this nun responds versus the condemnation that, his mo- that her mother has shown. Let's take a look. First time I watched this movie a couple weeks ago, I watched that scene and went, time out, pause. Whoa. I've never thought about it like that before. Love is attention, and I think in, in a world that we live in that is more distracted and busy than ever, maybe one of the greatest ways that we can love the people around us, including the people under our own roof, is to give them our undivided attention. We live in a world, in a culture that is dying and hungering for attention, to be understood to be noticed. It's pretty rare to find people that will give you their undivided attention. Several weeks ago, I took my wife out for uh, her birthday to her, one of her favorite restaurants here in town because I delight in her. And so uh, we went out and like we just, those of you with young parents, you know, like you just got to soak up these times. Like we just crave these times. We're realizing how important uh, these times are to go on a date without kids. And so we were super excited to have a, a, a dinner conversation longer than seven seconds. So we were really looking forward to this with no interruptions. We just crave this time. And so we're talking talking and having a good time. We never want it to end. And we look around the restaurant and there's a whole bunch of other people on dates and and moms and daughters and dads and sons and, and couples and people on double and triple dates all together. And what do I see? Like they're literally sitting next to each other or across the table. And like, hear me say this, you can put me at the front of that line. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. We stick YouTube in front of our kids and we need them to be quiet, right? We're not perfect parents, okay? It happens. But I'm looking around and every part of me wants to stand up and go to these people and say, you're missing it! This is the person that you love the most in the world and whatever is on your phone is more important than making eye contact and having a decent adult human conversation with that person. Give them your Attention, this is your chance. There's nobody else in the world you need to talk to but the person that's in front of you. And as followers of Jesus, this is actually one of the things that Jesus modeled for us so well. Jesus actually gave attention to the people that everybody else pushed to the side. Jesus gave us his undivided attention. He, he touched people. He spoke to them. Think about lepers. Nobody wanted to get close to lepers. Everybody would, oh, lepers. I'm going to stay as far away as I can. Jesus not only talked to lepers, he went right up to them and he touched them. He looked them in the eyes. Jesus gave us his, he didn't just stand up in heaven and go, whoa, looks like a dirty, sinful world down there. Good luck, everybody. He came down. He was born among us. He walked in our shoes. I think about the adulterous woman. She's half naked, thrown, guilty, and, 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 and ashamed in the middle of town, and everybody's standing around her, Jesus doesn't just walk by and say, yeah, you should probably do what the law says. Go ahead and stone her. Everybody drops the rocks when Jesus says, he who has the first sin, cast the, as the sin, cast the first stone, and then he, gra- I don't know exactly what the scene was like, but I just picture Jesus going up to this woman in decency, lifting her up after saving her life. I don't know how he did it, but may- maybe Jesus just touched her face. And you know when you really love somebody and you want him to show them affection, you kind of hold their face and their cheeks like that? I would imagine Jesus is looking at this woman, and can you imagine being 
caught in the middle of your sin and having the God of the universe look you in the eyes and say, go and sin no more. You have the undivided face-to-face attention of the God of the universe. That's the opportunity that you have every single day to know God, to have his undivided attention. Jesus gave us his heart. And so as followers of Jesus, I wonder if something that we can grow in and get better and better at is slowing down. Because you know what's hard to do when you're in a hurry? Is to delight in people. You know what's really hard to do when you're rushing about in your life? (laughs) Is to give people your undivided attention. How many of you, when you're having a conversation with somebody, are thinking about your reply and not really listening to what they're saying, right? We're rushed. We're in a hurry. Now, you might be thinking, John, this is all cute. This is all well and good. I want to love like Jesus. I want to be a person that loves well. I want to delight in people. I want to give people my full attention. I am slammed, you might be saying. I am so tired. I am so exhausted. I'm so overwhelmed from shuttling the kids around. I think my spouse and I maybe said hi to each other a couple times this week in passing. We are just stressed out. We are busy. I can't, I can't love people well and delight in people. I, we, we, I got a pile of laundry the size of Mount St. Helens. I can't, I can't love people well. John, we're, we're busy and we've got so much to do. And, and by the way, John, I, I tried it once. I tried getting in a small group and church people are just weird. And, and, and somebody in my group annoyed me. And there's people here in this church that are just weird and they got on my nerves. And so it's really hard to love. I'm busy. People are weird. Love is messy. Love is hard. What do we do? What do we do? The third key I want you to remember today. Real love stays connected to the source. Real love stays connected to the source. Do you ever wonder how Jesus was able to be super busy but never stressed? One of my favorite Christian authors, Dallas Willard, says it like this. Jesus was often busy, but he was never in a hurry. And the difference is a condition of the soul. How was Jesus able to to have long days, long full days, and probably run on a lack of sleep and yet love and care for people so well? A quick read through the Gospels, you'll hear these statements over and over. Early in the morning, Jesus went to pray. Jesus left the disciples and went to a quiet place to pray. Before dawn, Jesus went away to be with the Father. Jesus snuck away when the crowds came and went away to pray. Every day, Jesus got up and prayed. Before dawn, Jesus went away. Spending time with his father daily was like the air that Jesus breathed. And if Jesus needed to go back to the source daily and be loved and delighted in and poured into by his father, how much more so you and I? Real love stays connected to the source. I wanted to just drill that into our heads this morning and give you a lasting impression to do so. So out from the prop room, real love stays connected to the source. A couple weeks ago in March, I had an epic water fight with my five-year-old son. And I got these loaded up. So aren't you glad that you sat in the front row today, everybody? Right? So if you're falling asleep, wake up, right? So you just pump these things up and then you can just, you know, we had a baptism next service, but we could do one right now. Um, We got into this epic water fight. Remember in March when it was warm? And so it, it was one of those like 55 degree days and it was pretty warm, right? And so my, my son doesn't know this. He doesn't exactly understand the whole faucet and the hose thing yet. He just thinks that squirt guns are always full. And so we hadn't really picked up from last year. And so he saw these in the toy bin and he picked them up and I didn't know there was still water in them. And we're just playing. I'm working on the deck outside and all of a sudden he just goes, dad, run. And he just starts pumping it. You know, I, I, 
regret teaching him that, you know, because then you can really get some traction on it. And he's just chasing me around the yard, just like this. And like, I can't turn around because he's like squirting me in the face. Like, I am losing a water fight to my five-year-old. This is not good. And he's like, and then he gets frustrated because it runs out. It gets dry, right? I mean, that tank's not very big. And he got so frustrated, he's like, ah, it ran out. I'm so frustrated. And he kind of looks around, he goes, another one. He grabs you and says, daddy, run. And he just takes off of me again. He starts chasing me around the yard. But you can tell, right, what's coming next. Eventually, it runs out, right? It's not connected to anything. There's nothing filling it up. And he just gets so frustrated. He's like, oh, man, I'm so frustrated, dried up. There's nothing in there. And I'm like, I am not losing a water fight to my five-year-old. And I'm going to teach him a lesson because dad knows the secret weapon. And I just bring out the hose, the whole thing. So imagine this is connected to the faucet back there, okay? And I just crank that thing on. This is like our 25-footer. I didn't bring our 100-footer that we have. And it goes over the whole yard. And so I just start chasing. You know, you put your thumb over it and just like that. And I am just squirting and just hosing him down. I'm chasing him. He's just running around giggling. You know, like that. And just like right in the face. And then he turns around because it doesn't stop because dad knows the secret weapon, the faucet right? And so it's out there, it's connected, the water just keeps coming, and he turns around to me with the greatest saying, the greatest sermon illustration ever, and he just looks me in the eyes and says, is it ever gonna stop? Like that, and I'm like, no! And just squirt him down, right? Because I knew the secret weapon. The hose is connected to the source. And when you're connected to the source, your tank is never going to go empty. And some of you are dry today. Some of you are empty. And you're like, yeah, 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 Jesus prayed all the time, but I, I'm kind of graduated from that. I don't really need to spend time with God every day. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you're running on empty. Real love stays connected to the source. It's time to get reconnected Today. God is the one that fills us up, but let me tell you, folks, we're the ones that got to turn on the faucet, and you can set yourself up to get filled up. So three things I want to tell you today of how to turn on the faucet. Number one, make weekly worship a priority. Every single week for you and your family, it's a non-negotiable. Set that standard for your family. We worship every single week because we are not going to run on empty. We need you, Jesus. We need to get filled up by those around us, and we need to get filled up by you. Number two, you got to plug into community. Some of you are trying to do the Christian life alone. Today, come back for new member class. Get plugged in. Take the core class. Stop trying to live on an island as a Christian. Meet other people, get connected, and get filled up. You're going to run on empty if you're trying to follow Jesus by yourself. And last but not least, do what Jesus did. Find time every single day to spend time with your father and get filled up. If he needed it, we need it. Turn on the faucet today. It's time to get filled up. Amazing things happen when you stay connected to the source. And that was certainly true of Christine. This whole movie, she's been a bit of a prodigal and she's been running away from her friends and her family and her faith. She is a rebel. She goes off to college in New York City and she does some Whew, she does some stuff that we're not going to show you on the screen. But nobody is ever beyond God reaching them. Amen? And so in this last scene, she's, she's pretty much been the prodigal daughter. She's royally screwed up her life, and she's walking along the streets, and she stumbles upon a church and her, hears the church bells. Watch what happens when God transforms her heart. Take a look. 
you've got a rebellious teenager and a mom that think that they're so different when actually they're so similar. A parent and a child both longing to be loved and taking it out on each other. But watch what happens when God calls out to Christine and she stands there and she, she comes home. She comes home to the church. She comes home to her identity. She receives that love and it's when she, when she allows herself to be loved that she's able to offer that love to her parents. And there's some of you that are here today and you are thinking to yourself, that's me. I'm the one standing there at church with my mascara bleeding down my face because I've screwed up. I've made mistakes. I feel so distant and far away from God. My, my tank is empty today. And God says, let me fill you up with my love all the way in. One of the incredible things about our God and the way he loves is that not only does he delight in you this morning, he pursues you. And when you have screwed it up, and when you have done things that you are ashamed of, and when you are running on empty, he says, I'm going to come after you and keep coming through all those defenses and all those excuses. I'm too busy. I can't do it. Not now, God. I got other things to do. And he just keeps breaking through those walls. And that's what this song we're going to sing is all about, about a God that comes and chases us and pursues us and says, I'm going to fill you up with my love because I know that you need it the most. I know you're desperate for it. God loves you so much and he wants to have a relationship with you today. And he comes after you again and again and again with the power of his love to change your life. Get connected to the source today. Let yourself be filled up by God's love so that we can be a church that loves the city around us well. Amen? Let's stand and let's respond to God as we worship together.